Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm going to kind of perch like Phil does. I thought that looked cool the other day. <laughs> like he was going to stand up for the key change. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, we've got my boys, Jed and Finn and Danny. And we have, uh, we have Lucy, who's six, who's at school today. So... We're happy to be here. Thank you for... I feel so privileged um, every time uh, these guys include me. I'm not sure really why. um, And I think it's just because you're being nice. But thank you. (laughs) I really do appreciate it. I'm I'm really humbled, genuinely. It's a real privilege to be able to to speak. And um, excuse me, I'm just going to set myself up. Um, This morning I'm I'm speaking about uh, risk and faith. That was kind of what... Um, Nathan and I were, were chatting about and um, just to say from the off I think anyone who speaks on faith will probably say this from the off totally not an expert um, on it don't pretend to be um, but Danny and I are on a bit of a journey and we've been learning a little bit and so what I'd like to do this morning is um, talk a little bit about risk um, and its relationship to faith um, talk about faith what the Bible says about it and share a few of our experiences Danny's going to come up and share a little bit as well and um and basically just see what happens from there. Is that okay? But I just want to say, I, I love these times. I love the worship here, you know. And, and so often I think, oh, the talk. It's so annoying. It gets in the way of what God's doing. <laughs> so I'm sorry that I'm that guy this morning. <laughs> uh, but first of all, risk. Oh, I need to get my phone out for this. So um, I looked up uh, the definition of risk on Google. And uh, just in case you didn't know, the new think before you speak is now Google before you tweet. <laughs> just uh, thought I'd drop that nugget in there to begin with. Okay, so risk, Google, on, on Google, if you write in risk definition on Google, it comes up. A situation involving exposure to danger. That's the first thing. And the second definition is expose someone or something valued to danger, harm, or loss. To get that, expose someone or something valued to danger, harm, or loss. And the little sentence they, uh, they give to help us understand what that could possibly mean is, he risked his life to save his dog. And uh, I thought that was awesome because it was a dog. It would never be a cat because cats are selfish and uh, they, they deserve to be not saved. Because <laughs> they wouldn't save us, would they? They wouldn't save us. They'd never go there. Um, but about risk, just a little story. Um, about my own, oh, I'm standing up already, key change. Um, a little story of my own life about risk. Um, the first time I think I really experienced risk was in the seventh grade. I was 12, 13, something like that. And uh, I was at a boarding school. And uh, I began to notice uh, a girl in my class called Emma. I think I, I liked the way she wrote in her notebook. I don't know what it was that caught my eye, but I, I started noticing her. And she came up in conversation with my roommate, Ellis. And Ellis was more experienced in going out with girls than I was. And um, he never defined what going out was, but he talked about it and it just sounded really good. And I really wanted to go out with a girl. So um, so he's encouraging me to just ask her out, man, just ask her out. So I was like, okay. So one Sunday, I knew she was going to be at the church. Um, so I got myself dressed in my best trousers and tucked my shirt in and you know, combed over my hair and had my big uh, early hipster 90s glasses on and um, went to church and afterwards I managed to kind of beckon her over to where I was um, by a water fountain by the, by the school gymnasium and it was a quiet spot 
And so I was like, so Emma, would you like to go out with me? That was it, straight in. No, hi. I don't think I'd ever spoken to her before in my life. Just straight in there. Um, would you like to go out with me? And, uh, and her response, I'll never forget. Her response was, um, I don't know what my mom would think about that. And I didn't know what her mom would think about that. So I just kind of went, yeah. And that was it. We parted company. And, um, and so I went back to the dorm and Alice was like, so what happened, man? What happened? Are you going out? Did you ask her? I was like, yeah, I asked her. And he's like, so what did she say? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we're going out. And uh, the next three days at school proved we weren't going out. She gave me a wide berth. She avoided eye contact. And that was pretty much the sign. So I am totally used to risk. Risk is, uh, is part of my life. I live on the edge of, uh, of it all. But, you know, risk, I, I think um, as a Christian, as a new creation, and apologies if you've heard all this stuff before. This talk might be full of cliches for all I know. It's new to me, or it's kind of new to me. But anyway, I, I, as a Christian, I've got a bit of a problem with the word risk. Um, as someone who's an, a co-heir with Christ, as someone who's uh, an heir of the kingdom, um, who's a child of God, because I think that um, faith, uh, sorry, risk is, is grounded in, in humanity, and it's got such a low view of God doesn't it? It's got a low view of God. I know that there's an element of risk to life. We can see that Jesus, he risks so much. But when we speak about it, when we think about it, I think sometimes we go back to the kind of old way, the kind of human level of talking about risk, which has this very low view of God, low expectation of God. And I think we do this in a number of different ways. And for those of you who are worried that I haven't used the Bible yet, I am coming to the Bible. But this is a very long introduction. <laughs> so we do this in a number of ways. We focus on the value of the thing or the person rather than the reason or the purpose behind risking. I think that's one way we do it. And that's an obvious way, right? We can all relate to that. We focus on the value of it. Remember, risk is defined as exposing someone or something of value to danger, risk, or harm. And sometimes we can start focusing on, uh, on the value. I have this friend, Graham, from St. Mary's Church in, in Poole. And um, in the summer, he went out uh, to lead um, a mission to South Africa and then to Mozambique to part of Iris Ministries. And um, while he was out with Iris... He, God just completely broke his heart and he um, got such a love for the orphanage, for the work they're doing out there. And when he came back, he was testifying how he loved it so much and, and the workers there had loved him and they, they had seen his heart and they said, why don't you come back at Christmas because one of our missionaries would love to get back to the States and you could cover their Christmas period. And so he was testifying to somebody. He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work towards doing that and go back out there. But we all know what it's like towards Christmas, don't we? The nights start getting dark. The weather settles in a little bit. gets colder. The supermarkets start flooding with the Christmas songs. Mince pies start stacking up. You go around to someone's house, you're offered a glass of mulled wine instead of a cup of tea. And all of those home comforts, all the presents, thinking of the presents, all of the, of the turkey. I love turkey. At Christmas we have a ham, and I love ham. I look forward to Christmas so much. All that stuff we value. It could have racked up for Graham. It really could have, because that's what happens. As the distance comes between us and our experience, we start valuing the stuff in front of us. But I'm glad to say that that wasn't Graham's experience. He went out, and um, he had a great time over Christmas, and now he's considering going out to be a, a long-term missionary out there. So it's awesome that he's done that. But so often, 
what stops us is that we start focusing on the value um, of the risk, uh, of what we're risking, rather than uh, the purpose of the risk. We have an illusion in the comfort, don't we? We have illusion uh, in, in, in the stuff that we're valuing as a comfort. And we know how easy that that comfort can just get shaken, whether it's a job, whether it's a house, whether it's uh, possession. Um, so quickly things can turn around um, in a moment. And the things that we thought were secure, the things we thought that brought us comfort and value, suddenly stripped away, gone. They can, uh, can happen. But what we do is we end up glorifying the valued thing rather than God, I think, sometimes when we talk about risk. The second way I think that we, um, we get it wrong, and maybe you guys don't, by the way, maybe this is just me, <laughs> um, is that we tend to, to focus on the risk itself because risk is being exposed to danger or harm or loss or humiliation or embarrassment or any of those awful things. And that inevitably leads to fear, doesn't it? Bill Johnson, I think it was him anyway, I'm hoping it was him, was quoted saying that, um, that it was fear that stopped Peter from having a perfectly good walk on water. And that's true, right? We heard that this week. They see, they're afraid in the storm, they see this ghostly figure, they cry out, he says, it's me! And they say, well, if it's you, Peter says, if it's really you, call me out to you. So he does, and he gets out, and he starts walking on water. And you know, I just want to testify, one day, I really hope I walk on water. I really want to. I want to step out in Pool Harbor. <laughs> walk out and drop a line and catch a fish. That's my dream. Who needs boats? But it was when he began to look around him, wasn't it? Took his eyes off Jesus and saw the wind and he saw the waves. And it says he began to be afraid. And that's when he began to sink. So fear stopped Peter from um, a perfectly good walk on water. I used to, and I think I still do, experience fear every day on, on, on some level. Um, does anyone know Robbie Dawkins? Robbie Dawkins, if you've ever seen Father of Lights, he's the, the American guy who uh, does some ministry amongst the gangs in Chicago. Um, I've had the privilege of hearing, hearing him speak a few times. He's got an amazing ministry. He's such a bold man. He gets out there and he'll pray for anyone. He'll speak to anyone about Jesus. And he sees the most amazing miracles. And I had the privilege of even going to the pub with him one night. And just even then, over a conversation, he felt some guy had some problem, which he did, and he prayed for him and was healed, some non-Christian in the pub, and it freaked the guy out, but he was just such a man of, just did it wherever he was, and it was such a, a privilege to be around him. And I was so inspired at this conference that I was like, I've got to do this, I'm hearing it, I'm hearing it, God. You're saying that the people are out there, and they need you, and you're saying you want to be with them, so I've got to go out there, and I've got to try this stuff. So um, I had a, a two-hour break in, 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 in a session, I went out, took a friend with me, just for like moral support, and I just started, I knew I had to get one off, I, I, like, I had to get one under my belt, so I trying to make eye contact <laughs> with people, see who wasn't in a rush, who I think I could stop. And this guy uh, made eye contact with me, so I was straight over to him. And I was like, man, I'm a Christian. I want to pray for you. How can I pray for you? And actually, he was really decent. Let me pray for him. Um, no great testimony, but I prayed for him. And it was, I was off. So then I was just kind of doing it. I was like blunderbuss effect. I was just going around offering to pray for anyone who would have me. I went up to builders who ignored me. People walked past me. People sort of snarled at me. But some people accepted it, and I prayed for them. Unfortunately, no great testimonies, but it was what God was doing in me, I think, trying to build that passion. But I knew when I went back to uh, the conference that if I didn't do that, the moment I got back to pool, if I didn't pray for someone, the fear would begin to build back up again. And everything I had gained in that would just uh, be sort of uh, diminished. I'd have to start at, um, at square one. 
And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. But unfortunately, God had opened my eyes. So I was having these awful kind of watching people go past me and going, oh, I should have prayed for them. But I was so embarrassed. I felt embarrassed for them that they would feel insulted, that I would think there was something wrong with them. You know, we're like that, right? We're British about it. And we're like, oh, that's terrible. We can't approach people. But God has really, just to testify about that, God has really been working in Danny and I. And since we've... uh, uh, stepped out and, and, and really started living by faith. We've been going around Pool Town and um, we've decided just to do that, to treasure hunt. We don't really know what that is, but we've heard about it and heard stories, so we've tried to do it. And we've had some failures, but we've also seen a uh, guy healed and Danny's prophesied over a couple of people in, in cafes and stuff. And yeah, so it's been, it's been a ride. But, 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 but so often, we don't quite get there, do we? <laughs> because we're focusing on the risk. And it's so, uh, and fear is so grounded in humanity. It takes God completely out of the picture, completely out of the picture. That's why it's it's so wrong. That's why we need to be so cured of fear, um, because it's it's all about me without God, without God being in the picture at all. And when we talk about fear, I think there's two types of fear. Are you guys still with me? All right, Grant. The first type is is what I've just been talking about. Focusing on the seriousness of the danger or the harm. And there are some real serious risks out there. There's some real... The, the, the loss of something or someone can be real and it can be painful. The humiliation. It might not just be embarrassing on the street if you're an extrovert. It might really be felt deeply within you if, you're, if, 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 if you feel people that way. And I'm, I'm one of those people. So that's the first type of fear, when you focus on the seriousness of the danger. But I think the second type, which I think I'm seeing more and more, I've seen more and more in in Christians, and definitely from from myself as well, is the fear that God won't do his part, that God won't show up. Now, I'm not trying to speak that into our lives. I'm just acknowledging it. Let's Let's be real with it. That is one of our fears. And that might come from someone else's experience. So I've got a friend who's led healing on the streets for three and a half years and he's never seen a healing. And he's done everything. He's, you know, he's led the team and he's just like, God, why are you not doing it? We're faithfully out there in the wind and the rain. Why are you not showing up? Why are you not doing your part? We're doing our part. And when you hear stuff like that, you're like, yeah, what if he doesn't show up? You know, what am I promising people? You know, is that not going to make it worse for them if God doesn't show up and they're going to be further away from God? And then obviously it's our own experience as well. Perhaps we've stepped out at one time or another and God hasn't been there. And our fingers got burnt and we felt that um, really deeply. Danny. All right. Danny's just going to share something. I'm going to look after the boys for a second. Just another experience in Bristol. Welcome, Danny. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for having us. Um, so I just stepped out the room before John said that sentence. I'm not quite sure what he just said. What did he just say? Something about. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to share a little bit now, and then I'm going to share a little bit about what God's doing now later. That means I'm going to take you back three years. I think about three years ago, we were, no longer, five years ago we were in Bristol and um, that we just had one little baby then and she would be coming up to maybe this age of Lex, lovely Lexi, about that sort of size and our lovely Lucy just did not want to sleep. I don't, I don't know what we did wrong 
but she just didn't like to sleep. And um, we were in a little flat, and it was a converted house split up into a few flats, and you could just hear the neighbours below, I mean, and hear the neighbours to that side and hear the neighbours diagonally that way. And so we knew when we were awake, we were keeping our neighbours awake too. So on top of the sleep deprivation and the kind of just the awfulness of not being able to sleep, we knew also our neighbours were being kept, when they were going, <coughs> and we could hear that, we knew they could hear the screams. So we had this system going where if it got really bad in her room, we had a travel cot set up in the lounge. So we would move her to the lounge if it got really bad in the middle of the night because that was the least sort of noise travel there. Um, and so this one particular night, we'd been pacing the floor, we'd tried everything, and we took Lucy to the lounge eventually. So we did the usual thing of kind of, you know, trying to get her off to sleep, and finally she went to sleep, and I put her down. And the trouble with travel cots are they're so low. You know, they're like all the way down there. So I was putting her down, and we were doing that trick where you peel one finger after another, you know, and you just, you don't even breathe, you know, and you creep away like this. And she was down. Fingers were away. I was stood upright. And all I needed to do was get from where I was in the middle of the living room to the door and get out. And so I was kind of creeping along. And I paused for a second when I got to the door. And I said, oh, Lord, please, please let me get out of this living room. Please. I mean, we were desperate. And so I said, said my prayer, and I opened the door, and it went like that. And Lucy was up again, screaming for, I can't remember how long that night was. And we can face so many enormous problems and enormous serious things in our lives. But sometimes it's the tiny things like that that really just make you go, why, Lord? What, could, could you? I mean, I really believe at, at God's voice, the universe could stop turning. You know, I mean, uh, it, he can change the substance of water into a totally different substance of wine. That, uh, I have no problem with believing that. So why could you not just oil the door? in your supernatural way you know um you know five years on i wonder why did we not oil the door i don't know <laughs> i have no idea why we didn't think of that but i i was just really crushed because i couldn't understand why god wouldn't come through for us what, what that would be so easy for god wouldn't it just and um it was five years ago, and God has done a lot, a lot in our lives since then. But the, the significant thing for me at that time when I reflect back, not able to see it at all in the, t in the moment, not at all, but something had happened to John and I in that season where we'd really lost our joy and we'd really lost our peace. And so the tiniest thing like that, we, had, we, we didn't seem to have the capacity to yeah overcome anything with the joy that was within us because for some reason that it had just escaped i don't know how but um our circumstances but anyway that i think that's what john wanted me to share is that right 
And I will come back later and tell you a happier tale, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, it was, by world standards, not the worst thing, but it was the straw that was breaking our back, you know. God just didn't show up. Um, I don't know if you ever read the book God on Mute. By Pete Gregg, he's the leader of 24-7 Prayer. And um, he, he testifies in that book about a couple who lost their faith uh, in asking God for anything personally because of a similar story, just over something almost kind of twee, like, God, why wouldn't you answer that? They just lost it for ages in, in being able to ask God for anything in them, uh, for themselves. We get our fingers burnt, and that can, be the, uh, that can be the situation. Can we play the Jar of Fleas video? You may have seen this before. Do, can we see it on this? Training fleas requires a glass jar with a lid. The fleas are placed inside the jar and the lid is then sealed. They are left undisturbed for three days. Then, when the jar is opened, the fleas will not jump out. In fact, the fleas will never jump higher than the level set by the lid. Their behaviour is now set for the rest of their lives. And, when these fleas reproduce, their offspring will automatically... <laughs> Cut short in its prime. Basically, their offspring will do exactly the same. That's the point. Isn't that weird? And in many ways, we're like fleas. I don't really know how to go from that, but you get the point, right? You get the point. We got our fingers burnt, and that's probably as far as we're going to go. Fear sets in. God might not show up. There is an antidote. Thank the Lord there's an antidote to that. Um, last Kingdom Life School, I can't remember who it was who spoke about it. I think it might have been the Monday morning. Um, and he referenced Proverbs 4.23. Do we know that, that verse? And that You can look at it if you'd like to. It says, um, Above all else, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. And um, I've read that verse before, and I always thought it was about guarding your heart against people who might teach you dodgy things or whatever. And he was, he was saying that that's not the case for him. But actually, guarding your heart is about asking God to heal any wounds you might have picked up that distorts your view of who God is and what he can do. And I was so blessed by that teaching. I remember last Kingdom Life School, we kind of just spent a bit of time just ministering to ourselves, just asking God to show us where we might have picked up these wounds, uh, whether they're deep, whether they're shallow, whether they're little, whether they're hidden to us, and we weren't even aware of how wounded. I think it was him, I mean, uh, it, that guy. But um, yeah, I was so blessed by that. And uh, I still do it to this day, just ask God to reveal um, stuff in my life, um, to undo the hurts, to pour in the healing, to let hope and faith spring up again, and like fleas, break out of that glass ceiling. My last thing on fear um, and risk. I, I think that fear can sometimes um, masquerade itself as wisdom. I think, I think I've seen that. Um, apparently some, some other famous speaker said that. I've never heard that before. I thought it was divine inspiration, but uh, apparently that's true. We, we, we masquerade fear as wisdom sometimes. We say that risk is too risky. It's, it's too big of a cost. We start building a theology around it. God wouldn't ask us to do that right? God's not that kind of God. He wouldn't do that. And there might be some truth in it. 
but it masquerades itself as wisdom. And I think it's one of the biggest stoppers to people stepping out and risking, stepping out in faith for God. I'm not going to define that any further. Spirit, just let that be true in our lives if that is true. So that's my beef as a Christian. <laughs> Does anyone remember where I was? That's my beef with risk, the word risk as a Christian. Um, with that, a co-heir of Christ. And what I noticed as I was preparing this talk was that the Bible never commends anyone for risk, as far as I know. But what it commends them for is their faith. Jesus himself, doesn't he? We can think of the examples. The woman who um, you know, had the medical problem for years, stretched out and touched him, he commended her faith. The centurion, he commended his faith, right? Jesus commends faith. The Bible is full of commending faith. And now if you would like to turn to the, <laughs> to the verses which I'm going to preach from today, <laughs> it's Hebrews 11, and it's really short. And it says this in verses 1 and 2. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, for their faith, for being sure of what they hope for and certain of what they do not see. And just to break that down really simply, the, the things they do not see, that's God. The things of what they're sure of, sure, uh, the things they're sure of, that they're hoping for, are the fulfillment of his promises, the fulfillment of his kingdom. And then in chapter 11, it goes on, talks about all these amazing people, one of them being Abraham, who he heard the voice of the invisible God and he stepped out, not knowing where he was going, but believing the promise that God was going to lead him somewhere and was going to make him into a great nation. And that was 25 years in the making, I think. 25 years waiting for that, uh, the promise of that fulfillment. But Abraham didn't just accept it, the word from God, and stay where he was. He had to step out. Because faith has to be active. Faith is active. Because faith bears the fruit of our obedience. Faith bears the fruit of our obedience. And that's what the ancients were commended for. Not for risk, because faith enables and risk stops. And I understand that there are serious risks. We've said this before. John Wimber coined the phrase that faith is sometimes spelled R-A-S-K. Didn't he? That's what John Wimber said. Because there are serious risks. But risks has a win or lose, doesn't it? And that example I said about he risked his life to save his dog. It was either going to be him or the dog. There's a win or lose with risk. Faith takes winning or losing completely out of the picture because it puts God in his proper place. Faith is focused on the ultimate outcome not just what's immediately in front. Faith sees past what's in front and into the eyes of Jesus. It sees past the wind and the waves and into the eyes of Jesus, into the kingdom of God. And that is why the ancients, this great list from Abraham and Noah and David and tons more, that is why they stepped out. That is why they were commended for their faith. If you want to flip, if you've got your Bible open, Hebrews going to stay in Hebrews. I'm going to go to 32. I'm just going to read a few, a few verses. And this kind of, this kind of defines faith, I think, from a biblical perspective. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samson, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms 
administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. So far, so good. Faith is good, right? That's what they're saying. He goes on to say this. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, and in caves and in holes in the ground. And then he groups them all together, those who had the victories and those who didn't. In 39, he says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They could look past what was in front of them into the eyes of Jesus, and they were commended for their faith. I want to be that type of guy. I want to be that type of person. You know, I think ultimately it comes down to, and we've heard a lot about it so far this week, what sort of God do we believe in? What do we think he's actually going to do? You know, I've I've read chapter 11, and if you get the chance, it's it's a great read. Um, And one, one particular bit is about Abraham, because it includes a bit which isn't in the Old Testament. It's about when he's asked to sacrifice Isaac. Um. You know, I've, I've sort of stumbled over that verse many times, wondering how could God ask him that, you know? Isn't, wasn't that too much? I don't understand how Abraham could do that. But Hebrews, it seems to put a little bit of light on that in verse 19. It said, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. But he also thought, literally, God has promised to make me a nation. He's promised me a son. And they've waited 25 odd years for it. If he's done that, if I go through with this, he's probably going to raise him for the dead. That's the only possible outcome because that's the kind of God he is that he makes away. Such was the faith, and that's what the ancients were commended for. That's why Paul, the apostle, could say, I consider it loss, all things lost, compared to knowing the riches of Christ Jesus. What sort of God do we believe in? There's um, another clip I'd like to show. You're going to have to get past some uh, some big hairdos and some country gospel music. But the song's awesome, so go with it if you can. Jesus, he did not come, and they wonder why. 
Big hair, big hair, you know. <laughs> oh, it's so lame, but I can't stop crying. <laughs> oh, I'm such a wuss. Get a grip, man up, come on, one man up. 
Uh, that song has kept us going for ten years. You might have to take over. Just give us something good. <laughs> I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get Danny up in a second. But isn't that it? Isn't that the truth of it? Isn't that the simplest, the simplest of truths, but the deepest, the deepest work of God? To be able to not talk about risk as something that might hurt you, or as something that is too big for you to get over, but to be able to look through it into the eyes of Jesus. You know, as, um, hello, mate. Hello. Danny's going to share a testimony um, of just stuff that we've been learning. Danny and I, um, we have, uh, we've stepped out from um, working for a church because we felt God calling us to, um, to leave the kind of boat and start walking on water, living by faith and, we're very, we're, we haven't, we're not long into the journey, but we've been learning some stuff. And we've been surprised by the intimacy of God, by the favor of God, um, but also just the stuff, the deep work that God's doing in, in, in us. Do you want to just testify a little bit? I'll take Finn. Yeah, we're only a couple of months into that journey, actually. Um, so... We've been learning so much. Everything is just, every day we learn something new, we learn something new. Um, but in, I wanted to just testify to God's provision. Because um, we haven't had a salary for three months now. So um just wanted to share with you what God's done creatively in that time. And um, so John left uh, just the very beginning of December. So November was the last month really. So we, we went into Christmas time and you know as a mom you, obviously my biggest worry is for the kids isn't it <laughs> I want Christmas to be Christmas for them I want them to not go without um, you, you know um, because we were leaving the church pe- people were so generous with us and they gave us financial gifts and we left so we were able to um, really go through December we, we actually were given in, in gifts from the tiniest amount of money to big checks we were given John's salary for that month um, we totted it all up and the pleasure as I think we had for about two weeks every single day an envelope came through our door and sometimes it had like a tenner in it and sometimes it had a hundred pounds in it and sometimes it had a John Lewis voucher or something like that you know um, and up our parents had given us money for the children for Christmas, so um, sort of we allocated you know, their money for that. Um, and we had a lovely Christmas. We had a real rest, and that was awesome. And then January came, and um, what was beginning to become obvious to us was one of the challenges was part of what God uses us in is hospitality. And when you haven't got any money, you can't, you can't, you can't buy food for other people. You know, we, we just had enough for what we thought we needed. And it was really important for me that the children still had what they needed. And um, Lucy's at school, Jed would be at preschool three days a week, and we need packed lunches for them every day. And 
gone are the days where you can put a penguin and a packet of crisps and a sandwich in it. You're not allowed to do that anymore. You've got to have a healthy lunchbox and they have to be full of grapes and lovely fresh fruit and there's no chocolate crisps snacks like that allowed in a school's lunchbox anymore. And it's basically all the cheap things are not allowed. <laughs> and it's the expensive stuff that you need to put in there. You know, fruit and veg is actually quite expensive. Um, and so that concerned about that and also coupled with the fact that we suddenly didn't feel able to be hospitable to people was really challenging because it would be so unusual for us to have someone in our home and not give them a meal or give them a nice chocolate biscuit or a, you know, and in our circle of friends. <laughs> yeah. In our circle of friends, we're the ones with kids, so everyone comes to us because our kids are asleep, you know, upstairs. And so we're used to being the ones who make the meal for everyone. And we had never really noticed that before until suddenly we felt unable to do that. And that was really painful for us. Um, and so I want to share with you different ways that God started providing in January. So first of all, a close friend of ours who'd always had a meal at our house once a week, flipped that around and said, I'd like, you to ha- I'd like you to come to our house once a week. Her house, I mean. And um, that, that was such a relief because suddenly I realized we're having a good meal once a week. Our kids are being fed and her house is great and they love it there. So, that, so it was kind of a Wednesday or Thursday. So I knew Wednesdays or Thursdays, good days. And on top of that... Um, we became aware of how much we would normally consume. You know, we hadn't really been taking note of it before. You just buy what you need in Tesco and keep stocking it up. So as a family of five, we go through a lot of milk. I don't even know. <laughs> um, blue milk and green milk, we're just constantly buying it. So we were starting to get a bit panicky because little Finn there, you know, still has a bottle in the night, which is as much a crutch for us as it is for him, I think. But... Um, <laughs> So if we were running low on milk, that's a real problem because that means a potentially awful night, you know. So we went to our friend Tessa's house for our meal this one Thursday night and she said, I felt the Lord saying to me that I really want to buy you just bread and milk. And uh, she didn't know how significant that was for us because we really needed bread and milk. And um, so that was wonderful. The next week we went to her house we got a great meal again. That was wonderful. And John had been to Little or somewhere to buy the kids' pat lunch stuff. And he had seen, they had on sale, you know, the hams that you would have at Christmas. They had them on sale. And John had just had this passing, fleeting thought, oh, I'd love a, I'd love a roast ham. But obviously knowing roast ham is not on the menu, you know. Um, so I had gathered the other things. We went to Tessa's house that week for tea. We had our, lunch, had our tea and it was great and we were just leaving and she said, this week I felt the Lord saying I wanted to buy you a treat. And she had bought her shopping, was leaving and had caught eye with the hams that were on sale. Yeah. <laughs> and she bought us a ham. It was from Marks and Spencer's as well. <laughs> um, and we were just so blown away and we realised... Like, our Father is so good. Like, and it's not just about what you need, the kind of bread and milk, but also he just wanted to kind of just treat John, 
you know, so ham. And uh, actually, that ham, we got so many meals out of that ham as well. You know, it was really, really wonderful. Um, another friend of ours, friend for years, would always call into our house and he would stop by at the corner shop before he would come in. He'd always come in with a tube of Pringles and a can of Coke for himself and maybe one for John. And so our children actually, he's called Richard and Rich, and our children actually think Pringles are called Rich Crisps because that's their association. He comes in with Rich Crisps. And this one week he came in and he had a bag of shopping. And this is a single guy who, who lives on Pringles and Coke. And he bought us washing up liquid, uh, milk, bread, um, and tea bags. And, we, you know, you go through so many tea bags, but not just any tea bags. He bought Yorkshire tea bags, which is, we love Yorkshire tea. That's John's favorite Yorkshire tea bags. I couldn't believe it. Richard bought this such practical shopping. It was awesome. So I was busy telling this story to another friend. And I said, you'll never believe that Rich brought Yorkshire tea, you know. And the cup, and I was only telling them as a sort of anecdote, as it were, you know. A couple of days later, that couple that we were talking to um, arrived. They're also on a journey. They've stepped out in faith. They're setting up a community cafe. They had been in Macro to buy their supplies for their cafe, and they had seen um, an industrial-sized bag of Yorkshire tea, and they thought, we know. So they arrived at our doorstep with 1,200 bags of tea. <laughs> um, we laughed, and I Instagrammed it straight away. I was like, I'm taking a photograph of that. And we just kept seeing this food provision and um, another couple had been um, we hadn't had a chance to catch up with them for ages but they'd heard via someone else um, some of the things that had been happening and they arrived at all they said we just want to pop around at about four o'clock is that okay and we kind of got a sense they actually live in our old house so they were either going to be bringing posts that we didn't want you know bills or something or we had a sense they might bring us something. Well, they came just with bags and bags and bags of shopping. Just, and just like really good stuff as well, like crunchy nut cornflakes and, you know, like all, all the good stuff, you know? Um, and stuff for the freezer. And, and in December, because we'd been blessed financially, we were able to give financially, and that was such a, such a pleasure to give. But as January was rolling on, we realized we now have food to be hospitable with, and this is our offering to you, God. So we, we, want to sh- we had a freezer full of pizzas and you know, stuff the kids would like, sausages and all that sort of stuff. So we had this idea. We thought, we want to throw a kid's party, because we love throwing parties. We want to throw a praise party. And we've got these pizzas, and we've got these bits and bobs, so let's do that. And actually, that happened to be last night. We had a praise party in our house for Lucy and Jed's friends. Um, and so we were able to give pizzas and whatnot to the, the kids, and that was amazing. Um, the, the other thing that's been going on for us, there's, there's two things that we've been learning. The first thing is you suddenly discover where your treasure really is, actually. So there's some things I haven't missed one bit don't really care too much and there's other things that suddenly you think oh yeah 
that's obviously quite important to me because I'm finding that hard. So I just share with you really honestly as a woman, I'm finding it quite tricky that A, I can't buy nice shampoo anymore. Because shampoo is either 99p or £5, isn't it? There's kind of no in between. <laughs> so that's tricky. And also I can't get my hair cut. And we have a wedding on Saturday. I'm just being really honest about my own vanity. I can't buy contact lenses anymore, so I'll be wearing my glasses at the wedding. And I don't know why, but for some reason that has been hard for me to know that I'll be all dressed up nicely, but I have my specs on. And normally for a wedding, I'd put my contact lenses in. So it's funny what God shows you, what reveals in your heart, actually. Yeah, I can totally do without X, Y, and Z. I'm not really that bothered. We didn't buy each of the Christmas presents this year. I really didn't miss it. Didn't miss it one bit. We... We realised the years before we'd just bought each other stuff for the sake of it. And kind of for the sake of somebody saying, oh, what did you get for Christmas? And so you'd have an answer and say, oh, John bought me this, you know? Actually, I didn't miss Christmas presents one bit. But I'm missing my contact lenses and I'm missing being able to have my hair cut. So I just want to share that, that it's revealing. It's revealing little ugly bits I guess about about us but it's good it's good to be on that journey and the other thing that it's showing us is we're learning about what kind of father God really is and um, we had a moment in January when we thought we'd, we're just not going to make our bills um, and kind of anxiety came over John a little bit and um, we individually had a little moment of thinking John had thought, well, worst comes the worst, I can phone his dad. You know, he can phone his own dad. And, and I have a really dear friend in Edinburgh who I know would take care of us if, if, if I phoned her. And we both had this thought that really, you know, we could do that if it really gets bad. And we both had the immediate thought afterwards, which was, if I think that my father-in-law is a good enough man to take care of us in a desperate situation, then what sort of God the Father do we have, you know? Um, and, yeah, if I think even my friends who are not related would care enough for my children that she'd want to give us some money, then what sort of friend is Jesus to me, you know? Um, and in amongst the... Um, the tea bags and the shopping coming in and that kind of stuff, what we saw happening among our sort of close set of friends was excitement started to build among them because they realized that they could be part of God's provision for us. And so whether it was a bar of chocolate or a load of shopping, that I, 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 I felt from them that excitement was building, that they could be part of, part of it. But this friend Tess, I'll just tell you this a little bit... Um, after we'd been at her house for tea a couple of weeks, began to feel a bit awkward about that. And um, so I, I, I sent her a text. She said, oh, what do you want to do this week, Wednesday or Thursday? And I sent her a text back saying, actually, I, I really feel awkward about it. And I, I, I don't want you to feel like, oh, I've got to have the Wilsons this week, you know? Um, and I know you want to bless us, but, I, you know, I want to kind of release you from that commitment because... Yeah, I was just feeling uncomfortable about that and I didn't want that to be a burden on her. And she replied just saying, I am not doing this out of 
some sort of feeling of I need to do this for these guys or this is a pleasure. I want, I want to bless you. I, I want to have you around. I actually enjoy your company <laughs> and it's nice to have you here and it's nice to have children in my house and, and, the, and the mess that they make is like a pleasurable mess for her because it's, it only happens once a week and, you know. Um, so we began to see that God's family are part of God's provision as well. Um, so there's just one other story of God's provision. Um, running alongside this, we, um, my former life before children was I was a graphic designer and um, I used to run a small business in Edinburgh. And we've been considering whether or not that um, is a potential source of income for us. We feel that this season right now in the immediate is for just being living by faith but in the future because I'm trying to explore how to use that gift to glorify God and potentially seeing a collective of creative people um, using their visual communication to glorify God so but I'm a bit stuck because I haven't been at work for six years and you can imagine technology has moved on in six years so we have two computers that I could potentially use one is about 12 years old and doesn't, doesn't connect to the internet. <laughs> so I guess 12 years ago that wasn't, it can plug in, sorry, that, it can actually plug into the internet, it doesn't have any Wi-Fi. But actually it's so old that when you go on it, it can't uh, read any website. So, you know, everything is a picture down the left-hand side to forever and beyond. You know, it just can't, it just can't be updated, it's too old. And we have a laptop as well and the laptop's now six years old and it has a just a glitch something's wrong with the software that I use to design so it can't um, it can't read any of the actions that I make so if I change a font for example it can't view it for me I have to save the file so every action I take left or right I have to save and then it will show me what it looks like so obviously it's a very slow and painful way to work and um, so we've been praying for a new computer and this has all been part of exploring what kind of God, what can we ask God for? What's allowed? Like, I can see why I could ask God for my children's pat lunches. That seems very right, doesn't it? But am I allowed to ask for a computer? Um, am I allowed to ask? We're asking for the big things as well. We'd love to get to Bethel. We'd love to get on a plane, five of us, and get to Bethel. That would be an awesome treat as well. Can we ask for these things? Um, can we ask for rent in an, you know, if we lived in Africa for example and we said oh we're going to go and live by faith in Africa I think everybody in the room would go great that's wonderful but we live in the UK and we feel God's called us to be apostles missionaries in the UK and so what that's a bit different because in the UK we have to we want to pay our national insurance we want to contribute to the country we don't want to be receiving from the country so it's a bit different um, so there's lots of complicated things that we've been trying to figure out what is okay to ask God anyway I've, I've had on my journal I keep just putting things that I think we need and then things that we like like the ham you know and um, on my like list for a long time I've had an iMac written on my <laughs> and I'm okay without it but it just always appears on my like list well um I got a phone call on Tuesday from a friend of mine and um, 
last year we served on team at um, do you know the conference New Wine so we, we we helped out with one of the venues there and one of the children's venues needed a little booklet designing so um, last year I designed this booklet saving every action <laughs> creating these little characters saving every action and it was a bit of a labour of love but um, this year they said do you think Danny would be willing to do this again for us and the friend that was on the phone said well I actually think she would be but they, ha they really have an issue with their computer it's really she's not really able to do it and the girl on the other end of the phone said well do you know we have this iMac here that, <laughs> that nobody uses and it's only used for the two weeks in, of new wine and it doesn't actually belong to anyone because it was bought with new wine money it's you know in the budget there so it doesn't belong to this church or that church or the other church it, it belongs to new wine um, so she can have it until August yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really good. It's really, really good. Um, yeah. So God's really good, and um, yeah. Sorry, Dot. I've had to talk probably longer than you expected, but um, we're just seeing God being creative in just all different ways and using different people to bless us. And it's not like Bill Johnson always says of me: it's not a lottery from the sky sort of thing. We're not looking for a million pounds sort of thing to wipe our troubles away but actually using the using the family of God to be part of God's provision that's what we're learning no so that's where we're at yeah yeah so uh, we're done we're pretty much done just just to say what sort of God do we have are we full of faith are we looking past it just one thing in closing um, when I was reading chapter 11 and especially those two verses, I felt God had a prophetic word for the church, not just this church, but the church in general. I'm going to leave it, and we'll see what happens. But um, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And I felt God saying, that's not acceptable, that that's what the ancients were commended for. That it's our turn. It's our turn to be commended for our faith. It's our turn to rise up. It's our turn to get the right view of God. It's our turn to be able to see through the wind and the waves into the eyes of Jesus. You know, there's a world out there who's dying for Jesus, who is dying. They don't realize they need him, and they need him. It's our time to rise up. It's our turn to be commended for our faith. And 12, chapter 12 starts as, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it basically says, let's do it. Let's do it. So, let's do it. That's all I got. Who's in charge? <laughs>